Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Our Next Guest Is. Hello and welcome again to another Our Next Guest Is. This is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers and entertainers in the corporate and events world and really find out what makes them tick. My name's Michael Pope and I'm here with Carson White from Leading Voice. Carson, who is our next guest? Thanks, Michael. Well, our next guest found herself in the role of team leader for an entire year in one of the harshest environments on the planet, Antarctica. How she coped, rallied the troops, and led her team onto a successful $20 million science program forms the basis to her book and her keynotes. What's most interesting, however, is she never grew up dreaming of leading an expedition to Antarctica. So how did she end up there, Michael? Well, I, let's I, I find don't out. know. I've got well, no idea. You're well, asking well, the wrong person. Well, Kelly. hopefully we'll find out <laughs> as we welcome our next guest, Rachel Robertson. Welcome, uh, Rachel. Hello, hello. Uh, first question, is it cold enough for you in here? <laughs> this is beautiful. This is quite perfect, actually, after a year at minus 35. <laughs> How long were you at minus 35 for, this experience that took you to Antarctica? Well, we're there for an entire year and the top temperature, the hottest, warmest temperature is 9 degrees <laughs> and the coldest is minus 35, but the average is around minus 22 Jeeves, you better take us back because we've already assumed people listening know exactly your story. Yeah. How did you get to lead an expedition and, and what was it all about? Accidentally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was an accident. Wow. I, uh, I saw an advertisement in a newspaper and they, the Antarctic Division recruit their station leaders for certain qualities, so mm-hmm. for resilience, empathy and integrity. You actually don't need to know anything about Antarctica. Mm. And I saw that and I was intrigued by that because I thought, what a great way to recruit people. And we're always looking for staff with resilience. And I had customer service staff at the time and I was struggling to recruit people with empathy, which is a slight issue in customer service. So just on that, Rachel, (laughs) tell us where you actually were working. I was working at Parks Victoria and I was managing a whole heap of park rangers and they were coming out of university with these great degrees, you know, a Bachelor of Science in Environmental Management with HDs. But when I put them with the park visitors... They were just hopeless. Right. They, they would patrol around the park with the windows up and, and drive past the visitors. And I thought, I want someone who stops, mm. gets out, says, hi, how are you going? Would you like a map? How's your day? So when I saw this ad, I thought, what a brilliant idea. I'm going to apply. This is my fiendish plan. I'll apply for this job right. just to get to the job interview stage so I can find out what the questions are they are using and I can <laughs> copy use, them. Yes, <laughs> yep. use it back home. Yep. Clever. I, as soon as I apply, uh, I find out that there's no job interview. It's actually a boot camp. There's a week-long boot camp in uh, the southern highlands of Tasmania. So I accidentally ended up on this boot camp with 13 men. And at this stage, I still wasn't particularly fussed about the job. And you were the only woman. I was the only woman, yeah. yeah. And then I thought, halfway through the week, I started to think, I'm actually a better leader than half you, half you guys. Right. I'm actually going to start really, you know, going for it Stepping here. up, yeah. And then lo and behold, they rang and offered it to me. And I just thought, you know, I'd rather regret what I did than regret what I didn't do. That was the only reason I did it. I thought I'd rather do it and get down there and go, what have I done, Mm. than not do it and spend the rest of my life looking back going, what if? Is is that a mantra that you've always lived by or is this experience really underlining that for you? It is. It is. I've moved around a lot um, just because I could. I was single and didn't have children, so I could. But this was really – I really did. I thought the worst thing can happen is I get there and I hate it and Mm. I can't come home. For me, that was a lesser risk than – coming back 10, 15, 20 years from now, looking back going, wow, what have I done? And, and the feedback I get from people who hear me present is that's the bit that they find inspiring. It's quite different to Olympians who mm, train yeah. from the age of seven or eight. You know, I was 35 yeah. years old and had this opportunity to present itself and I thought, yep, 
I'm just going to have a crack at this and got it. And then I thought, you know, and then I had to tell my mum. <laughs> How did that go? I yeah. said, I'm moving overseas for work. And she said, where? I said, oh, Antarctica. And she said, um, how often will you come home? I said, I won't. And she I said, can we come and visit yeah. you? Yeah. I yeah. said, you can't get in or out for a year. Yeah, yeah. She goes, but you don't like the cold. And I said, well, yeah, well, she goes, why? And I said, but why not? Right. Why yeah. not? So cut to the chase of, of where you ended up doing what with who? So I ended up living down there for a year and I have a team of 120 people in summer and it's crazy. Summer's busy. It's helicopters, it's planes, it's science, it's 16-hour days, it's 24 hours of daylight, madness. Mm. They go home at the end of summer in February and then 18 of us remain behind to maintain the station. And so my job changes then from more sort of logistics to more pure leadership, like keeping this team motivated, keeping them inspired, keeping them from killing each other. <laughs> I, I, I once heard you describe it as like a, a big brother house gone mad. Yeah, yeah, and we can't vote anyone out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> can't even and, lock the door. And, and wasn't that based over some bacon? Oh, the bacon wars. You see, this is what fascinated me. I initially thought the bacon wars was just people going stir crazy because we're living together on top of each other. And then I asked a few questions and I found out it was actually something completely unrelated. It was about the use of a vehicle. And the diesel mechanics thought the plumbers were deliberately cooking the bacon the opposite way. They liked it crispy and the plumbers were cooking it soft. And so I started, I termed it the bacon was, but when I got to the bottom of it, I thought this has got nothing to do with bacon. It's right. actually about respect. And then I started researching it and these bacon wars are in every workplace. They're dirty coffee mugs. They're people who are always late for meetings. They're people who take out a pool car and bring it back without petrol in it. Right. And they're all but the same But when you thing. scratch the surface. Yeah, it's, about res- it's disrespectful. It's implying my time's more important than your time. So mm. I'm going to leave stuff lying around or I'll arrive late for a meeting. And it's this behaviour. And I used to wonder, why do we get so heat up? And now I know. So naming that is one of the take-homes from your audience, shining a light on that dilemma, as is triangles. Believe it or not, that is the IP I'm known for around the world. I right. travel around the world and people will say, oh, Rachel, yeah, no triangles. And it, it's just such a simple concept to build respect in a team. And it's about saying... I don't speak to Michael about Carson. If I have something to say to Carson, I go direct to Carson. I Mm. don't take it to a third party. And I did it with my team down there, firstly, for my sanity, because as a leader, I had more important things to do than just listening to that whinging, whinging, whinging. (laughs) And it was doing my head in. And then I thought, you know what, it's actually disrespectful to talk about someone behind their back and they probably don't even know they're doing this behaviour. So how about we be up front? And so everything I did with the team was designed to raise an issue, discuss it, deal with it, move on. Mm. Because it was such a a pressure cooker environment, such a tough environment that we had to just deal with stuff as it happened. And the no triangles just came up when I said, someone came and complained and I said, do you want me to talk to him? Is that why you're telling me? They said, no, I'm just letting you know. And I said, but if you don't talk to him and I don't talk to him, then in a week's time, we'll be having this same conversation. And then my head's gone, oh my God, I'm here for 52 weeks. I'm going (laughs) to have this conversation 52 times. So that's why I said, let's do no triangles. And, And when people hear it, it's it, great. it brings such profound change, but it's so simple. It's a very simple, simple concept. Yeah. What was the biggest challenge for you leading that team? The scrutiny of the leadership role. And I think every leader knows that, particularly business owners, uh, where you're being watched the whole time from the minute you get to work to the minute you get home. The difference down there was it's 24 hours a day. Mm. And so I, it took me six weeks to work out that I had to manage some boundaries. I thought that being a great leader meant I'll be there. If my team need me, I'm there. So Accessible, 24-7. Spot on. And they'd knock on my door at 10 o'clock at night and they'd see the light under the door and, and they'd say, oh, you're, they'd open the door and they'd say, oh, you're reading. And I said, it's fine. I'll get out of bed. You know, I'll come and right. help you. I was just writing to mum. Yeah. <laughs> and then I thought, you know what? I can't, I can't do this for yeah. six – you know, I can't do this for a year. It'll, mentally, it'll kill me. I, I have to get some boundaries here. So the next time they interrupted breakfast, it was on a Sunday morning. 
And I actually said to them, look, I need to have breakfast. How about I have my breakfast and I'll meet you in my office in 10 minutes. How does that sound? Mm. And once I put the boundary there, they respected it. But prior to that, I had, I had no boundary. And I realised when I had a corporate role, what I'd been doing all that time, I'm thinking my time management was really bad. It was never my time management. It was my boundaries. And so mm. every time someone came and said, oh, Rachel, have you got a minute? My default answer, yeah, sure I do, even when I didn't. Even when I didn't. And so I'm working massive hours because I didn't manage that boundary. And it's, it was a real lesson for me to actually say, you're not saying no, you're saying not now. Just not now. Mm. And let the person know your priority. Rachel, I had the privilege of actually being at your first ever <laughs> you first did. ever presentation, which was for our Variety Club luncheon, if yes. my memory serves yes. me correctly. Yes. And that Club, would have yes. been probably, what? 2006, I'd been back about four weeks. Four weeks, that's right. Wow, so, that's raw. So mm. I'm sitting in the audience and uh, and I see this uh, young female leader up on stage <laughs> sharing this amazing story of, of how she got the job, obviously, as we know, uh, and then her experiences down there. How's your speaking evolved from that first presentation? You've oh. done hundreds all over Australia yeah. and all over the world uh. since then. How's your speaking evolved? And then, then also on that, your messaging, so your key messaging that's come out. And we've touched on triangles and bacon walls, but there's yeah. a lot more. Yeah, that's you were there. I, I remember, and Carson came up to me afterwards and said, would you like to do more of that? I mm. said, what, tell that story? And he said, yeah. He said, there's some great leadership speakers in Australia who've studied leadership and they're academics and they know the theory, but we need a few more practitioners. We need people who've actually led mm. and we need female leaders. So I thought, oh, well, I'll have a crack. Just on that point, you hold the, that position, don't you, as the first female in that Antarctica? Second, Second. Yeah. 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 Diana Patterson was first. Right, she's there. your mum. <laughs> no, <laughs> she, she was a mentor for me though. Great, but great. yeah, and then I um, so then Carson said try it, and I was working full time and then speaking around work, and it just took off. I couldn't believe how much people wanted to hear the story. And mm. then I guess the big change came probably four years later, when I started to realise to keep currency. I couldn't just have a story. I had to pass the so what mm. test. So I went back and broke the presentation down again and I, I ne- it now passes the so what test. So every story, so Bacon Wars, there's the story. So people remember the story. The insight is that little things mm. drive people crazy and the application is you need to do this with your team if you want a high-performing team. So all of the, the structure is story, insight, application, story, insight, yeah. application, and it's very sophisticated. That's fantastic, Rachel, because a lot of speakers aren't at that sophisticated level. They have a great story and they present it, but I watch them as an MC, and I watch them, but go, yeah, but you really need to underline what the take-home is. Even Shakespeare summed up his play at the end by saying, hey, if you've missed the play, this is what we were saying. It's absolutely critical, and particularly with a big event, say an association event where you've got you know, thousands in the audience and very different backgrounds, or a mm. franchise event where yep. you might have very different backgrounds in the room, you've got to come up with a takeaway that applies to everyone in that room. So everyone in that room works in a team. So mm. everyone can use no triangles. Everyone will have mm. a bacon wall. Mm. Lead without a title is another one about getting people to demonstrate leadership that it's a behaviour. It's not a title. All of that applies to everyone. So just on that, you touched on the obviously association audiences, but tell us some of the diverse audiences you've probably spoken to over the last few years. Um, yeah, that's another change in the business. Like to, to scale it a bit more, I, I started to, to, to do some niche work. Um, safety is, is a big one for me. A lot of our safety- Was that important in Antarctica? <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, Don't just slip the, on the snow, is that just, it? Just on that, Michael, can I actually well, – we'll come back to that, but uh, tell us a story from Antarctica that involves safety because I recall a couple. There was one with an incident sliding down the, these oh, stairs. Oh, um, yes. Um, which is a good example. This is the true story. This is true. We don't have emergency responders down there. We, don't, we are the fire brigade. We are the police. We are the ambulance. And so my two carpenters had to do two weeks training at Hobart Hospital to become theatre nurses – 
and my two IT guys did two weeks training to become anaesthetic assistants. Oh, wow. And it actually was really good for me because when they'd come to me with these requests, they'd say, oh, um, can we ski behind the back of a quad bike over the ice because there's no policy to say we can't. Or, can, <laughs> or as, as Carson talk, talked about, can we sit in a ba- – they want to sit in a baking tray and skid down the indoor stairs out into the snow. And they said, can we? Because yeah. there's no policy. Yeah, it's not written down, we can't. <laughs> that's right. yeah. And that's what they were, they were wanting me to say, yes, you can, because there's no policy to say they couldn't. Yeah. And I just turned to them and I said, well, you know, you know, you make the call. I said, oh, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're grown men. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'll just remind you that our theatre nurse is a carpenter and our anaesthetic assistant is an IT guy. When you remember that. And knock yeah. yourselves out, it's fellas. Up to you. And it worked. But they still did it? No, they didn't because the thing with the safety, and this is what I've just um, – I do a lot of work in um, mining and utilities and remote sort of safety areas – and I talk about that to get a safety leadership culture, you have to have everyone responsible. It's not management running around. So it wasn't me running around with a clipboard saying, are you mm. all wearing the correct PPE or are you mm. co- um, complying with the policy? It was me creating a culture where they manage themselves. And part of that culture is um, stepping in. If someone's doing something unsafe, I mean, that's the holy grail of safety, to create an environment where everyone will step in. If someone, if I see you doing something unsafe, I will step in and say, hey, that's unsafe. And not, ju- not just a leader or someone in charge, right. but and a fellow it's employee a or colleague. It, yeah. It's interesting, yeah. isn't it, in the zeitgeist now uh, in mental health, the message is very much out there to everybody take it on to ask, are you okay? Is that not the case in workplace safety? Are people still uh, hesitant because, oh, I shouldn't tell them to not run so fast? It, it's a cultural thing, I found. And so with my team, mental health was another big issue down there. And with my team, we had a mantra that respect trumps harmony and that was about we don't have to love each other we don't even have to like each other but we do have to treat each other with respect Mm. and I did it deliberately because I worry when there's a harmony culture and I've worked in these teams where we all love each other and everything's sweet and great I worry that people turn a blind eye to someone doing something unsafe they they won't step in this is not I'm not going to rock the boat Mm. or equally mental health uh, they won't put their hand up and say actually I'm, I'm not okay today and and also innovation you can't innovate if you're focusing just on harmony and we all get along we all see eye to eye someone's not going to put their hand up and say well actually you know I've got a different idea I've got a different opinion I've got a different experience they won't do that if you focus on harmony so our mantra was respect Mm. respect trumps harmony every time Rachel you wrote a book leaning on the edge was that a cathartic experience from you and and, and reflecting on your time down there I mean what did you get out of writing that book the book was yeah that was extraordinary I wrote that because I was getting the same questions I always have a Q I like to have a QA and a session at the end and I'm really confident with that because people will ask, can't ask me a question I don't know because it's my story. So mm. I can answer every question. And I get a, ga- a gamut of questions from what are the penguins like and what did you get <laughs> miss the most to really insightful um, how did you manage to people who didn't get along or how did you look after yourself as a yes. leader in such a remote area. And I get really range of really good questions. And so I kept getting the same questions. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to write this book mm. and, and put all the stuff that I get asked in the book and see it might help someone. Um, it became a bestseller in, uh, gosh, five weeks, and we've sold nearly 30,000 copies. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, yeah. those sales are great. Putting it out at $2 is clever. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's giving, that giving, giving it away at yeah. uh, Berk Street Mall, fantastic. You got um, me, you got me. You've spoken, as we said earlier, in lots and lots of different places all over the world. What's one of the most interesting uh, or entertaining or, or difficult places you've actually spoken at? Outdoor events are yep. always really hard. Um, one of the hardest ones I did was when I was I was starting out, and I've learned a lesson from this. It was for a, a plumber's award uh, award night in Albury, and it was for 
Apprentice of the Year Award. And, and in the briefing, the client had said, we want them to learn leadership and we want them to learn teamwork and blah, blah. So, yep, sure, I can give you leadership. Yeah. Anyway, they put me on. They were running late and I went on after dinner. They, these guys had arrived in Albury at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and started drinking. And, and had been drinking, yeah. Spot on. Not yeah. good. Drinking. So I'm on after main course and they're running <laughs> Which late. Which would so have been 10 o'clock. About 10 o'clock yep. at night. And I started talking and I thought straight away, I thought they don't want to hear leadership stories. So I had to, on the spot, just change it to the human interest stories around, you know, that how we, what alcohol we have on station and relationships <laughs> and the, the comedy stuff of 18 random people living together right, on top right, of right. each other and can't get away. And on the spot I had to do it. And it was a good lesson for me to, to listen to the brief and mm. li- really understand the brief but use my 12 years of experience on the stage to read the audience when I step on there because what the client might tell you the brief is when you arrive, depending on what's happened during the day, you yeah. need to be flexible and, and go, okay, oh, I can meet the brief, but these guys... And you know. you, I mean, that may be extreme, but you are flexible because of your experience. You've got a number of different uh, topics, shall we say, that you could bring forward. And one particularly is about empowering women. If I was a client and came to you and, and we had a very female skewed audience, what kind of take-homes could we get from an empowering women presentation? Yeah, and I have noticed probably a 10 or 15% increase in inquiries in the last 12 months for women's events, right. specifically for all, or it's a big conference and they'll I'll have that tack it on. They'll add on a little 30-minute session just for the women. They say, can you do the opening keynote and then can you just whack on a little 30-minute informal catch-up with the women? And it's really just about um, reinforcing to them to back themselves because overwhelmingly the research shows that women have the, the competence, it's the confidence. Mm-hmm. They'll have 85% of the selection criteria and still won't apply for a job. So it's a about saying, look what my my career wasn't planned out. It was all opportunity. It's all opportunities, and just grab the opportunity. But I also had a lot of mentoring and and support and executive sponsorship. Like I actually managed my career. I didn't sort of let it just happen. Mm. And I think that's you know for women. And and the other thing, when I'm talking to a general group, I don't make a big deal out of the fact that I am female and I find that much more powerful that yeah. I can see the body language of some of the men when I when I get on stage and like, you know this younger blonde woman what's she going to teach me about leadership and when I start talking about the fact that we had to become the fire brigade because there's no firefighters down there and then I talk about how I managed the search and rescue following a plane crash and I see the body language change and the arms unfold and they're sitting up and they'll come up afterwards and say oh that was really good yeah. but I, I actually You're see a good them bloke. yeah yeah <laughs> and I can see on their faces they think oh she's a good leader yeah. oh and it's a woman yeah, and yeah. that for me is way more powerful than me getting on stage and often clients worry with a female speaker that you might do that so I'm really clear I don't get on stage and say women are great and women are fantastic leaders some are some aren't I just tell the story Mm. and it's way more powerful for them to go oh what a great leader oh and it's a woman by the way by the way Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. When I first saw you speak at the, at the Variety Club <laughs> luncheon, right. that was what stood out for me. So it was you, um, for the young female leader, but in such a difficult environment. And I said, mm-hmm. if, if you could survive that for 12 months, then you've got a lot to give to corporate and, and right of yeah, Australia. Yeah. Clearly, you've been doing that for many years now. Uh, as I said, I have seen you and you have a lot of stories that we can take away and hopefully make a difference in our own workplace, no matter what it is that we're doing. Thanks for your time, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And if you'd like to find out more about Rachel Robertson, go to the World Wide Web, rachelrobertson.com. You've been listening to Carson White from Leading Voice and your MC, Michael Pope, with our next guest is. More guests can be found through iTunes or just visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break.